checking in here after last night, Thursday night's 4-3 overtime loss to the Arizona Coyotes in an arena, well, not the arena, but the city, the, the state of Arizona, let's say, because they keep freaking changing where they play. But in a place and on the road against a team on the road that the Avalanche seem to have struggled with in recent years. The Arizona Coyotes always give them fits, and it just seems like that was another example of that. Despite uh, Georgiev playing well in the beginning, despite the Avalanche solving Connor Ingram twice, getting a 2-1 to lead, it just never felt like the Avalanche had full control of that game. And we saw quickly how it kind of shifted toward the Arizona Coyotes pretty quickly, uh, becoming a 3-2 to lead for the Coyotes, which required an Avalanche goal in the third period and a Nathan McKinnon power play goal, the second power play goal of the day. And I do want to talk a little bit about the power play in order to tie the game and force overtime and give the Avalanche their first overtime loss of the season, 15-6-1. Let's pour one out to uh, being able to write game stories without the third column, 15 and 6. We officially need to include that third one. It is a 1. You are, of course, listening to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. This is Eric Dean of Mile High Sports. Uh, just kind of wanting to catch up a little bit. I'm going to clip, per usual on Friday's uh, radio segment that I did with Sean Drotar and Sandy Clough on Mile High Sports Radio earlier this afternoon on Friday. Uh, but before that, I do want to talk a little bit about the power play. Something I wrote in my game story last night is the Avalanche's power play has truly been on a tear. Uh, and and I, I use the word tear, tear loosely because it's only been 27.5% over the last nine games. But I kind of want to dig into why what they're doing is effective. Um, to break it down, the Avs, since that loss to the St. Louis Blues, that brutal 8-2 loss, I believe now three weeks ago, which is crazy, uh, they are seven one and one. The 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 one and one being the very last second loss to the Nashville Predators, and then the uh, very uh, unfortunate overtime loss to the Arizona Coyotes yesterday. They've won every other game. Those were both winnable games. So we're seeing a pattern here. The Avalanche are kind of back to their old ways of 2022, 2021, even 2023, where it's, you go into every game expecting a victory, and when it doesn't happen, you're kind of shocked. And something crazy is probably going to happen, and it probably involves bad luck for Kale McCarr, which it has for both the one and the one in the 7-1-1 one, and one record. But over that stretch, the Avalanche are 11 for 40 on the power play. So again, 11 for 40 is not by any means the best. It's only 27.5%. I believe it's like 8th or 9th, maybe even 10th since November 13 when this stretch of last nine games uh, happened. And obviously it's an arbitrary nine-game stretch and date range. It just kind of goes since the Avalanche kind of turned the page from that 8-2 to two loss to the Blues. But there was something, if if y'all watch Altitude, there is something that the late, great Peter McNabb used to always say. It's not about your power play percentage. It is about how many goals you score. And the reason why that is, is the Avalanche are 11 for 40 in their last nine games. I would much rather they are 11 for 40 than 10 for 20. And the reason why I say that, and 11 for 40 compared to 10 for 20, that is literally one extra power play on 20 extra power play opportunities. And there's two reasons why I say that. Number one, you're drawing more penalties. And when you're drawing more penalties, you're putting the other team on the defense and on the defensive, I should say, for a larger portion of the game. So despite the Avalanche scoring 11 times, that leaves an extra 29 times, uh, and my math 
yes, my math is correct, 29 times that the Avalanche were unsuccessful most of the time on a full two-minute power play. Other times, obviously, you would get washed early because they take a penalty and then it's four on four, whatever the reason is. But what it says to me is they've scored 11 times, but 29 other times they've had the other team, and despite them allowing some shorthanded goals in this year, they've cut 29 extra power plays worth of time out of these games over the last nine games of time where the other team is on the defensive. So even if you're not scoring most of the time outside of a few shorthanded goals, which are kind of very far and few in between, you're not letting in a goal either. So I would much rather they are 11 for 40 than 10 for 20, because if you're 10 for 20, There's an extra 20 penalties that you didn't take that you're playing at five on five, potentially playing shorthanded, that is giving the other team a better opportunity to score on top of the fact that you've scored one fewer goal, 10 compared to 11. So Peter McNabb, the late Peter McNabb used to always say it's about the amount of power play goals you score because the amount of power play goals you score are what matter on the score sheet. You know, if the Avalanche win their next game three to two and every goal is scored on the power play and they're three for six, but the Anaheim Ducks are two for two, you're going to want to take the three for six because to kind of go over the two reasons I just went over, number one, you scored more goals. The name of the game is scoring more goals in the opposition. Boom, you win the game. Number two, there were three extra opportunities of power play time where the Anaheim Ducks were on their heels. They were in their defensive end. They were trying to kill a penalty every time they got the puck. They were probably clearing it because there are no icings. And then they're going for a change. They're bringing out more PKers and they're doing the same thing. You're keeping the Zegrises and the McTavishes and all those guys off the ice because they're not the ones killing the penalties. So that is something that I wanted to address with their power play because here are some numbers just to kind of shake it down. 11 power play goals, most in the NHL over this last nine game stretch. Second most has nine. 40 power play opportunities. The next most is the Florida Panthers who have played one more game than the Avalanche's nine. 10 games and they're at 34. So the Florida Panthers have drawn 34 penalties over their last 10 games, an average of 3.4 per game. The Avalanche have drawn 40 over their last nine games, an average of 4.4 per game. So that's an extra two minutes of power play time, more than the next most in this stretch that the Avalanche have been playing. So if the power play keeps operating the way it is, and the PK has been top five all season long, just like extremely well, excellent, crushing it. Special teams are a large reason why you win games in the NHL. And it's a large reason why the Avalanche are 7-1-1. And obviously, that's not to take away from Kale McCarr, who's been on an absolute tear lately. NHL's second star of the week. That's obviously not to take away from Val Nichushkin, who is just scoring pretty much every single night. The dude is on fire. Nathan McKinnon's been finding the score sheet a lot lately. Uh, Ryan Johansson's getting some goals. Druan is starting to put in a couple of points here and there. Not to take away from any of that. Obviously, most of that is happening also on the power play. Um, and also not to take away from the goaltending, Georgiev has been a lot more solid in recent weeks, kind of reminiscent to what he was like in the beginning of the season. And Prosvitov has put in some pretty valiant performances when he's been in goal. So um, shout out to the Avalanche's power play for figuring it out lately. Shout out to the Avalanche's play on five on five for drawing that many penalties in recent memories, because in order to get on the power play, you got to get something going at five on five. That's what they're doing. They're dominating games, forcing the other team to take penalties, most like mostly stick infractions and things like that which happens when you're playing on your heels, puts you on the PP, gives you a chance to score. 
So that's what's been happening lately. Um, I think the Avalanche are, they're in a good spot. They have the Anaheim Ducks on Saturday, probably when y'all are listening to this. Uh, I would assume, and again, I could be wrong by the time you're listening to this, but I would assume Prosvitov goes against the Anaheim Ducks. And then you take Georgiev and play him in the second of a back-to-back against the LA Kings, who have the best points percentage in the Western Conference at 0.725%, followed by the Vegas Golden Knights at 0.708, and the Avalanche just a touch behind at 0.705. So big game for the Avs on Sunday, but first you got to get through the Anaheim Ducks. You can't take them lightly, despite them losing nine straight games all in regulation. So from here, what I'm going to do is clip that podcast segment, or sorry, radio segment that I did with Sean Drotar and Sandy Clough on High Sports Radio earlier today. Of course, they are on there five days a week from 4 to 6 p.m. So catch them at High Sports Radio, uh, 98.5 FM, or at MileHighSports.com. With that, Here is myself with Sean and Sandy. This is Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar on Mile High Sports. Rantanen back to McCarr. And now McCarr, Rantanen to the front. They bang away. Nachushkin. Oh, what a play. Josh Brown to break it up. Him behind the net, though. And now back out high, McCarr again across, McKinnon scores! Oh man, he picks the corner, second power play goal for the Avs, and we're not at a three. From the Arizona Coyotes Radio Network, as you could hear by the uh, sort of frustrated uh, sound of their voice, because that tied the game at 3-3, but the Avalanche go into overtime. Uh, I warned you about this guy by name yesterday, the pesky Coyotes and Nick Bukestad who seems to turn up for them all the time. He gets the unassisted goal in overtime as the Coyotes topple the Avalanche. The Avalanche also have games this weekend. Joining us Bukestad to talk about drew it. the penalty, yeah, and Drew I got know that too. technically it was a, uh, a four-on-four goal right. that won the game, but really it was a power play goal because the penalty had just expired. Right, and yeah. They, and they Byron had I think not had an opportunity to get back on yeah. yet. It was it was as it expired. Right. And uh, joining us to talk about it is Miley Sports lead Avalanche writer Run uh, Run Right Arif A A R I F is the handle. Arif Dean joins us, and uh, Arif, thanks for for stopping in. Um, a loss that I would say not not frustrating, but I talked about it before the game yesterday that I just feel like the avalanche need to kind of roll these sort of mediocre teams they're not doing it. It's not as if they're in a bad spot. They're certainly not, but there have been moments and Jared Bednar's called this team out once this year for sort of careless play. I don't think that's necessarily what's happened in this game, but when you look at the abs lately, look at this game and then look at the next next couple games coming up, what have you seen and what do you expect to see next? Uh, I'm seeing a I'm seeing a lot more consistency. I know I know it was a bad loss, and it's a team you ultimately, like you said, you want to roll them over. It's the Arizona Coyotes, but uh, it's hard to really pick at this game. I hate that the last time I was on this radio show was before they got blown out by the St. Louis Blues because right. for about two weeks I had a lot of criticism about this team, but I feel like that's withered away over the last couple of weeks because, <laughs> like. It, we did, you keep catching me with the glass half full. That's the issue. That that's not good for well, radio. No, yeah, like... no, but 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 Bednar, you 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 were picking up on what Bednar had been talking about even during the six and zero start. We're not playing our best. Yeah. We're we're yep. we're missing some elements. We're not quite clicking, and we're we're getting by. But the suggestion was we're going to pay the price at some point. They certainly did after the six and zero start there for about seven games. But I, I, I agree yeah. with you. I think this game is a little different. Um, 
last night because you, you get a t- I mean, they've beaten now, I believe, the last three Stanley Cup champions, one right after the other. Uh, it, it, Tampa Bay, Vegas, and now the Avalanche. And getting a point out of Arizona at this point, I, I yeah, you'd rather have two. But, you know, they were the team that trailed in the third period and got that power play goal that ended up earning them a point. And, uh, you know, you hate to see them lose in the last seconds of overtime because you know they'd have a big edge in the shootout. And Georgiev is a pretty good shootout goaltender. But, uh, hey, the Stars lost 4-3 against Calgary, and Calgary isn't playing nearly as well as Arizona is. Yeah, and the Avalanche rolled the Calgary Flames last weekend in a very one-sided, dominant game. It's uh, So the reason why it's a little bit more glass half full for me is because, first of all, the Az are 15-6-1. They are a top-five team in the NHL right now. They were, they were the second team to reach the 15-win mark. They are the best team over the last three weeks. Uh, they have the most power play goals over right. the last three weeks. They have the most goals over the last three weeks. And the reality is twofold. Number one, you're not going to win every game. So when you lose, it's good that you can at least get a power play goal and get it to overtime because this was the issue we had with the Seattle loss and with the Nashville loss was they gave it away in that final minute of regulation where their record would look a heck of a lot better if it was 15-4-3 compared to 15-6-1. They gave away a couple of points. Well, 15-4-3 is Boston's record. So that, that's exactly, how close yeah. they are. Yeah, at least you can now say – they got a power play goal from Nathan McKinnon late on a vintage one-timer from, from Kel McCarr and forced overtime. And then obviously we saw what happened in overtime. They killed the penalty. They couldn't, you know, McCarr was trying to slide the puck under Georgiev's pad. It ended up going all the way in. But McCarr was on the ice for two and a half minutes. It is what it is. Yeah. But at least you got it to overtime. And, and the second reason why it's not a big an issue for me is, guys, I don't know what it is about the Arizona Coyotes. The Avalanche always always have issues with them. It's the true. Tough year it's true. Been, it's always the, been the case. Yeah. It's been the 2021, 2022, and 2023 season. We're talking 2021, they were the President's Trophy winners. 2022, they won the Stanley Cup. 2023, we saw what happened. The Avalanche always go into Arizona and have an issue. And I think the funny thing is the last time they were there, they, it required a late goal in the third period with the goalie pulled to tie it up and then found the Chushkin to win it in the eighth round of a shootout. That's what it took in March of 2023 to beat the stinking team after the trade deadline, after they had already sold off everybody and were pretty much tanking the Coyotes, that is. So it just always seems to be a team that gives them issues. But I look at yesterday's game, similar to what, you know, Coach Jared Bednar said was that it's, it, there's a lot of positives to take. You know, they, they didn't necessarily play a terrible game. I think he, he said uh, in the second period they had a little bit of a lull, but they fought hard in the third. They fought hard in the first. Um, and they looked like a good team that just came away with one of two points in a game that could have gone either way. Now they have the this rest of this abbreviated road trip, a short road trip, but action-packed. I mean, they have tonight off, but then they go Saturday and Sunday in Anaheim and then in yep. L.A. Uh, do you expect to see Ivan Prozvitov in net for one of those? I would imagine so. I would probably think that uh, Prozvitov gets tomorrow. The L.A. Yeah. Kings are... So when you look at the when you look at the standings in the NHL, there are four teams that have a better points percentage than the Avs, and that's what I like to go by this early, just because you know the the, the game discrepancy. Like Vegas has played 24 games, LA has played 20 games. It's unfair to say Vegas is better than LA. Reality is, LA is the top team in the Western Conference in points percentage, and then Vegas is just barely edging out the Avalanche for second. So 
And then on the alternative, the Anaheim Ducks have lost, I believe it's now nine straight games, every single one of them in regulation. They so went from being a nice on. surprise team early to yeah. a team that uh, now all of a sudden can't win a game. I'm pretty sure that stretch started in the game against the Avs at Ball Arena, uh, the nine straight losses, because they had, I think they had beat Nashville the day before or something like that, and then they came to Colorado and they got beat by the Avs and haven't won since, all in regulation. So if you ask me, I, I, would, I, would, re- I would assume – and recommend, obviously, but assume that Prostotov goes Saturday, Ivan gets the goal, you save your top goalie, you save Alexander Georgiev for Sunday against the LA Kings, a team that you beat on the road and a team that you are now playing on the road again for the second time this season uh, as one of the you know other Stanley Cup contenders coming out of the Western Conference. So that's the way that I would probably see it uh, unfold. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a much-deserved rest for Georgiev to, to get that game off against Anaheim and what you were saying earlier about rolling these bad teams, this is a team you want to roll. You want to be able to smoke the Anaheim Ducks with Ivan Prostatov in goal so that McKinnon, McCarr, Ranton, and Taves, you can roll your four lines, play them 18, 19 minutes, not 25 to 30, and save them for that big game on Sunday. With the line combinations now, of course, the Avs are accustomed to, to being without uh, Arturi Lekkanen, and that's not a lot of fun, but it feels as if they're starting to crystallize a bit. What are you seeing with the Avs? Uh, they get health. You know, Cogliano is is uh, kind of back. Olafson is now sort of back. You're, you're seeing enough of the, the these lines sort of uh, reestablish themselves. How are you feeling about these sort of rejiggered lines, including uh, the performance of a guy like a Tatar or Druan who are trying to get themselves uh, into the regular spots as well? Guys, this is something that I want to write about. The, the line combinations, the forward units and their usage is one of the most fascinating things I've seen in a long time. In the sense where as, as soon as Lekkinen went down, it became even more kind of clear toward this, this uh, idea that I have. But last year, the Avalanche had a clear top line. They had kind of a second line with Rodriguez and Comfer and Nachushkin. And then they had a couple of, let's call them, fourth lines. Like, they didn't have the depth. Right. This year, they have the depth. This year, your fourth line, when McDermott's not in the lineup, when your fourth line is Kivi Ranta, Olofsson, and Cagliano, your fourth line is giving you 10-11 minutes. Here's the interesting part. Your third line is also giving you 10-11 minutes, and your second line is giving you about 11-12 minutes. So what you're seeing now is Nathan McKinnon is playing about 25-26 minutes, and the other three lines are evenly distributed. I've never seen anything like it. I asked Jared about it a month and a half ago. Like Ryan Johansson's ice time is more on par with Olofsson and Colton than it is as that middle that middle man, that second line. Maybe it would change if Lekkanen was healthy and, you know, it was Lekkanen, Druin, and Johansson, and you can roll with, like, a more traditional second line. Right. But what I'm seeing from the Avalanche right now is they have a ton of trust in their fourth line. They obviously love that third line. Who doesn't? With Wood, Colton, and O'Connor. But the second line is not separating itself from the pack. In fact, a lot of times when you look at your three centermen, Johansson is getting, like your three sentiment behind McKinnon, Johansson is getting the least amount of ice time. It is really fascinating. He is being very picky with how he uses that second line to get them to click. And they are scoring more, and Druin is playing better, and Johansson is playing better. Tatar is right about to, you know, right about to break through and score his first goal. He's setting up some good goals, but he is using them 10 to 13 minutes, if even that, at even strength and giving them a chance to slowly pick it up. It's a clear thing to me. It's number one, you need Lekkanen back, and number two, you need another trade deadline acquisition to play in the top six. But the difference between last year and this year is 
Tom Fern Rodriguez gave you a heck of a lot more than Johansson and Tatar are currently giving you. But so you, you kind of lost a little bit in that second line, but the third and the fourth line are miles ahead of where they were last year. And obviously, no pun intended, that includes Miles Wood. Um, I, I want to ask you about uh, what's going on defensively uh, now that Samuel Gerard is uh, uh, getting treatment from uh, uh, the NHL's uh, assistance program. And I, I thought showed great courage last week in coming out publicly as he did and saying very forthrightly that he's had anxiety and depression issues uh, that have led to alcohol abuse and he's getting the treatment he needs. And I know his statement uh, drew praise from his teammates, uh, from the coaching staff uh, already, uh, as far as I can see, a pretty popular player in the locker room anyway, and doing something like that and, and, and showing that kind of courage uh, particularly by comparison with one other uh, uh, veteran NHL player who uh, was cut this week under very mysterious uh, circumstances. I, I thought it was commendable. I also think it has led, although last night might not have been the greatest example, to a repairing of Byram and Manson, which, uh, again, last night's not the best example of that because neither was very good last night, but generally speaking, that combination seems to be working better than Byram and Girard were. And uh, to be honest, last night, in a plus-minus sense, the best defense tandem was Jack Johnson and Caleb Jones. <laughs> Although, obviously, they didn't play a ton of minutes, but they were plus players last night. Everybody else on defense was minus one or minus two. I think uh, the biggest thing for me right now is trying to get Bowen Byram back to where he should be. He's had a little bit of a slow start, and it's nothing to be concerned over. He's a young player that uh, any team, if he was made available, would trade for him, and most teams he would be their number one defenseman, and obviously that's most teams. Uh, if you can get Byram back to where he is, that pairing with him and Manson would look a heck of a lot better because you know what Manson's going to provide, and what Manson's going to provide is the physical edge that we saw yesterday. And despite him having not the best game and him only playing 15, I believe it was 15-50 if I remember correctly, but that was uh, under the circumstance where he was pulled off the ice for five minutes because of a fighting major, and he also had a minor earlier right. in the game, I believe. Right. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on was the fighting major is the fact that he came in and, and he did what he does. He's been playing sound defensively a little bit better than he was early in the season. Uh, obviously this is a guy that was still recovering from some injury issues over the off season. So he's starting to settle in, but he comes in, he lays a big hit on Boyd. Uh, and then he gets challenged to a fight uh, from Liam O'Brien, former app who was a tough customer and pretty much beats, he beats him cleanly in that fight. He didn't beat the wheels off of William O'Brien, but he did win that fight. And in the process, drew a two-minute minor for instigating, which was then what led to the Nathan McKinnon game tying goal. That's what you want to see from Josh Manson. That's his role. Play sound defensively, lay out some big hits, and when you have to answer the bell, you answer the bell. It drew a penalty after winning a fight and led to the game tying goal, gave the Avs a point in the standings. You can't ask for more from him. Bowen Byram has been struggling, though. He's not where he should be offensively. And his defensive game, I believe he was a minus two yesterday. Obviously, it's not the end-all, be-all stat, but uh, he was a minus two yesterday. The Avs are still putting him out there quite a bit and playing him in big minutes uh, because he needs to. He needs the minutes to kind of break He does. Out of like he needs to play heavy minutes, and he needs to play in games, which we forget. 
uh, last two years he hadn't played very much, not, and not in the regular yeah. season anyway. Yeah, and it's great to see him healthy. The one issue right now is when you're missing Gerard and when Bowen Byram is giving you 21.58 of ice time is what he played yesterday, but not at his top. Well, then you have Kale McCarr and, and, and Devon Taves. Granted, there was an overtime in there where they yeah. played a two-minute shift. Right. Kale McCarr was at, was at over 28 minutes. Yes. Devon Taves is at over 26. You don't and you want to don't want them issue. playing that much. No. Yeah, it's, it's the same issue you have with the forward court. McKinnon was over 25. Rantanen was over 25. Natushkin was 25 on the nose. You need to have other players step up and take that ice time away. That's why you need a Lekkinen back in the lineup. That's why you need a Gerard hopefully at some point back in the lineup. And if not Gerard, you need Bowen Byram to pick up his play because when Bowen Byram is playing well, you can trust him and Manson to get a lot more minutes together rather than using Byram sporadically and, and methodically like with, with Kale here and with Devon there and kind of switching him up in, in, in the lineup. We'll find out how that shakes out this weekend. The Avs uh, tour Southern California. They'll start with Anaheim tomorrow, Los Angeles against the Kings on Sunday. And in the meantime, you want to give a follow to Arif Dean. Run right, Arif. A-A-R-I-F is the handle on social. Catch everything he's putting together for the Avs on My Life Sports. Get these insights and more every single time from Arif. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it, gentlemen. You guys as well. All right. We'll keep an eye on the Avalanche. And, of course, while the Broncos are going, big game in the NBA as well for the defending champion Denver Nuggets. They get the Suns tonight. Uh, Jamal Murray is back. What does that mean? What does it look like? How much does this game necessarily matter on the road? The Nuggets are favored. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. <laughs> 